0: This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hello, and welcome to this month's Bright Focus chat about macular degeneration. My name is Diana Campbell, and I'm pleased to be here today with this community of people who are impacted by macular degeneration. We will also be using the term AMD throughout the chat, which stands for Age-Related Macular Degeneration. The topic of today's chat is Advanced AMD, an update on an investigational medical device. We're going to spend about a half an hour learning about the potential benefits of the device and the clinical trial studying it and answering your questions. For those of you who are new to our chat series, this chat is brought to you today by Bright Focus Foundation. We fund some of the top scientists in the world who are working to find better treatments and ultimately cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's disease and we do events like today's chat to get the latest news from science as quickly as possible to families that are impacted by these diseases. You can find much more information on our website, www.brightfocus.org. We are delighted to host today's guest, Dr. Maria Richman, a low vision rehabilitation optometrist from Shore Family Eye Care in New Jersey. Along with treating her patients, Dr. Richmond has presented research and lectured at many optometric, educational, and rehabilitation conferences. Dr. Richmond, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, before we thank get you. to the discussion of the, thank you, of the investigational device, the Seeing Implantable Miniature Telescope, can you tell us a bit about what a low vision rehabilitation optometrist does and the services you provide at your practice for, for people with AMD?
1: Yes, Diana. Thank you. Well, hello, listeners. My name is Dr. Maria Richmond, and I am a low vision doctor, a rehabilitation optometrist. So who is a low vision doctor and what do they do? Well, a low vision optometrist is a type of eye doctor. We focus on improving the patient's visual function, including the activities of daily living. So what do I do during um, a a day as a low vision doctor? I deal with patients by providing a comprehensive low vision exam to help identify the healthy and unhealthy areas of the eye, and I take measurements to prescribe optical and non-optical devices. Then I provide training and therapy techniques to help patients maximize their remaining vision and function better. And I also help patients understand their limitations, and I help them to establish realistic goals. So when you go to your eye doctor, sometimes you turn to your eye doctor for medical intervention, but also know that you can turn to your eye doctor for a visual and functional intervention as well. So that's how eye doctors in general work. Some... um, function or specialize more on medical eye care and others specialize or function or pay more attention to visual eye care. Um, and so that's a little bit about what I view as a low vision eye doctor.
0: I really appreciate that. It's a question that we get a lot, and um, I think the experience of many people is that they don't necessarily get a referral or don't know how to find one, um, so the outline of, of what doctors like yourself do is, is really important, and I'm pretty sure we'll get some questions at the end of the chat, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with the basics about the Singh Implantable Miniature Telescope, or the IMT, as we might call it, um, throughout the chat. Uh, Consuelo from Connecticut asks what is the benefit of the device so could you tell us a little bit about the device how it works and your involvement with the Concerto clinical trial? Yes so first I like to give
1: you a little bit of a history on the device so the IMT which is the implanted miniature telescope um, first was preceded by a first-generation IMT back in 2010. So the first-generation IMT, which is the implantable telescope, had similar optics to the current telescope, which is in the study that we're dealing with or discussing today. The first generation was implanted in more than 700 patients with macular degeneration, and over a five-year period, we found that 90% of the patients with the implantable telescope achieved at least a two-line gain in their visual acuity. We also looked at the patients with the first-generation implantable telescope device, and we measured results from the National Eye Institute questionnaire, that's the NEI, VFQ25, which had questions about general vision, near activities, distance activities, social functioning, mental health, and more. And the mean scores from that questionnaire showed increases in seven out of the eight relevant categories, with patients reporting on less dependency on others, being less limited in their everyday activities, and being able to recognize faces quicker, easier, and um, follow more details. So when we saw how much good came out of the first-generation device, we said, how could we make it better? And in making it better, we improved the surgery and delivery of the device So that now we have a smaller incision that's made with less sutures, which leads to a quicker recovery and people seeing better sooner. We're finding postoperatively, one to three days later, people are seeing better. And what that translates to is that they can be connected to the low vision doctor, the rehabilitation team, sooner so that we can give them the tools they need to succeed um, by working with their low vision doctor. So so that's the history of how we got to where we are today, is by streamlining something that already worked and making it work better. Um, And by making it work better, we're helping people to use new vision or new visual techniques to be able to see details and activities that maybe they've had to give up on because their site, their center vision site, had been failing from late-stage macular degeneration. Does that answer your question, Annie? It
0: did, it did. I was just gonna follow up with, um, how does the device actually work? So you have the surgery. Um, Could you kind of outline, you know, which eye goes into and, and, you know, how it helps you to see better. Yes. Well,
1: what happens with the process is that there's many team players helping the patient to be successful. So when we start the beginning of this patient's journey, we are having the retinal doctor work with the patient The cataract surgeon work with the patient, and the low vision doctor work with the patient. So we want first, well, in any order, we want the patient to be cleared by the retinal doctor that they truly have the late stage macular degeneration, which is the dry form. It's the late stage AMD has to be resulted a result from either the dry AMD or the inactive wet AMD. So that will be able to get clearance from, from the do, retinal doctor. So once again, it, it, it is a dry form of AMD and it's a late stage AMD that would be the criteria that needs to be met. For the patient to be entered into the study. The type of AMD has to have the bilateral geographic atrophy, or the disco- discoform scar, the, the scarring that happens in the macular area. The patient also has to be cleared by the cataract surgeon, so they have to meet certain corneal health requirements, and of course, um, They have to still have the lens in their eye. Um, They cannot already have had cataract surgery because to put the implant into the eye, the the cataract or the lens in the eye still has to be intact so that when the cataract surgeon comes to do the surgery to implant the telescope, first we have to remove the lens or the cataract from its capsule and then the implantable miniature telescope gets um, delivered through the surgical procedure into that area where the cataract had just been removed. So you see we will need um, retinal clearance that the type of late-stage macular degeneration is the type that would meet the criteria for this study. And we also need to check with the cataract surgeon to make sure that um, the eye is healthy enough to remove the existing cataract and place the miniature telescope into that position in the eye. And then, of course, they need to visit their low vision doctor, which would be myself. If if you were living in New Jersey, you would get to meet me. Um, and what I do is I have what is called a um, telescopic simulator. So I have an external telescope that you would hold in your hand and um, it's of the similar magnification to the actual implanted telescope that we would be using during the surgery. But before we get that close to the surgery, we wanna first see in the you know, exam lane that you're comfortable in seen through a handheld telescope of the similar power so that you could appreciate that the magnification would give you enough detail to recognize faces, watch TV, you know, look down the street, you know, see someone waving at you, you know, from, you know, across the hallway or or down, you know, the food aisle or so forth. So we want to first make sure that you have an appreciation for the level of magnification that the telescope would be providing for you, as well as understanding what biocular viewing is. Because what happens in these cases with the implantable telescope, Diana, is that you would hold the external simulator, the external telescope up to one eye, let's say the the operated eye, so that you could appreciate the, um, the enlarged clear central vision that you'd get with that eye. And then maybe you'd wink or blink a little bit there so that you'd concentrate on the other eye, the unoperated eye, so that you could see around the room. So one eye would be delivering you central, enlarged, clearer, recognizable vision, and the other eye, the unoperated eye, would provide the visual field um, information, the side vision information, the mobility information of where you are in space and how comfortable you are in walking around with your regular vision that you're used to in the unoperated eye. So it would take some training to make sure that you understand that it would be a new way of seeing. It would be a new type of viewing, the biocular viewing, where one eye would be paying attention to central vision and the other eye would be paying attention to peripheral vision. And then once you're cleared with the low vision doctor, the cataract doctor, and the retinal doctor, then you're ready um, to have your surgery. And so the surgery would just be um, a surgical procedure that the cataract surgeon would remove the cataract, um, place the implant into the eye, um, requires just a few sutures, and then you'd have follow up post op care with your surgeon. And in a you know, in a, a day or two, you're seeing better. And by two weeks after the surgery, you're in your low-vision optometrist's office <laughs> You're rolling up your sleeves with me, and we're going to do a visual acuity assessment. I'm going to provide optometric hair through that comprehensive eye exam that I spoke about earlier when I was introducing myself. And then we'll start the vision rehabilitation management, which can take about six to eight sessions of rehabilitation or vision therapy or eye exercises. And uh, the roles um, that would be um, in-office eye exercises as well as um, home exercises. So over that six to eight session of, you know, working closely with you, your low vision specialist would be helping you to um, function better with your new vision. Um, helping you to use your vision more easily and more comfortably. Um, We'll be teaching you new visual tasks and techniques to help you to see better and, you know, motivating you throughout this whole process because it's like anything else. It takes work and it takes motivation and it takes concentration and um, it also takes a good support network So we do ask for patients who are interested in going this route with us that you have a good support network in place, either with caregivers or families or friends or um, other people in your life, because we want your support network in the office with us so that you can see the techniques we're doing to train you and give you tips on how to maximize your new vision, and for someone who can help you with your home exercises because not only in the office are we going to do therapy, but you're going to do therapy at home as well. So it's almost as if, you know, you had a hip replacement or a knee replacement, you know, you, after that replacement, you just don't start walking or running. You know, you have to go for PT for physical therapy. You have to start working that leg, working that knee, working that hip and learning how to re you know, Walk again with, with a device, a prosthetic, or something new in your body. Well, it's going to be the same thing when we put the implantable telescope in. It's something new in your body that just takes some work and encouragement and motivation for you to stay the process and do your exercises and keep moving along.
0: That's great. That's a great kind of analogy with, you know, a knee replacement or hip hip replacement. You know, you definitely, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like it's very, very important, you know, to have that rehabilitation in place and to stick to it and do the exercise to get the most um, use of the vision that you have. Um, I know we talked a little bit about managing expectations, and it sounds like um, it's really, you know, seeing the people that you love and being able to do some hobbies again and that sort of thing. Um, that people will be able to regain. I just wanted to manage expectations here and, and kind of say and have you tell us: um, you know, are we expecting 2020 vision or driving, or is it really just those activities um, and, and things that people love to do and are, are no longer able to? Correct. Well, that's a great lead-in, Diana, because I was, um, I wanted to touch on that a
1: little bit, and I, I said, let's wait until we have enough. Time to, to pay attention to that. So um, if you remember when I introduced myself as a low vision doctor and what I do, so not only do I um, find the healthy and unhealthy areas of the eye and then I take measurements to give you the tools to succeed with either prescribing optical or non-optical devices, but I do the therapy and the training with you to help to teach you how to maximize your remaining vision, but what else I do is I help you to establish realistic goals so that we're both on the same page because um, we're a team at this point. We're both going to roll up our sleeves and we're both going to work to get you to the goals that we agree are realistic. So, what are the realistic goals for a patient that's interested in the implantable telescope, the Sing IMG? So, so the IMT, the Sing IMT, is the small incision, new generation, implantable miniature telescope. If you come to me and say, Doc, you know, I, I heard your bright focus chat. I love it. I I went through the screening. You know, they told me I could come to you. I want to drive. And I'm going to say that is not a realistic goal of what the implantable telescope is for. The implantable telescope is to bring um, people more connected visually to their everyday activities. So realistic goals would be, you know, watching TV again, recognizing people, seeing your grandchildren's faces, um, you know, sorting through, you know, somebody just got married and sent you a bunch of pictures that because maybe you couldn't have gotten to the wedding, but but you want to see, you know, pictures of your granddaughter. So seeing pictures, uh, going out to social events again, you know, so many times macular degeneration robs you of um being comfortable out at social events, because so many people from across the room might be waving to you, but you can't see them or you can't recognize you, them. And you don't want them to feel like you're not paying attention to them or you're ignoring them. Um, because the center vision from macular degeneration robs you of being able to recognize faces. So little by little, people give up going to social events because they feel awkward around people. The thing IMT, the implantable telescope, gives people back the ability to recognize faces, to see people, to get out and socialize again. It also helps you to bring back um, your hobbies. So you know the things you used to do during the day that made you feel more complete and more purposeful. We can we can work on hobbies again. We can help you with reading and writing and near activities, and and getting around. Um, you know, in social settings. So those are all realistic goals. But I, I'll tell you, Diana, if people came to me and said, Doc, I I want this telescope because it's going to give me clear vision immediately. And I, I'd have to say to them, I'm sorry, uh, it, it, it does give you clear vision, but it takes a lot of work. It's almost like that knee replacement. Doc, I want a new knee so I can go out dancing or running again, but I don't want to do, I don't have any time for PT, for physical therapy. Well, that doc's going to tell you the same thing. This is not for you if you're looking for some clear, immediate gratification. It's going to take work. It's a process. It's it's a pleasurable process, um, but with work, you know, you have to have the commitment. You know, some people might say to me, Doc, I want to get back to playing tennis or seeing a golf ball, you know, in flight so I can see where it's heading and where it's landing. This type of implantable telescope is not for that. It is more we want to take baby steps (laughs) you know we want to we want to regain our new vision little by little and see where that takes us so i would redirect those patients that might have unrealistic goals of clear immediate vision or driving vision or you know seeing a golf ball in play i would i would redirect those goals and see if we could come to some common agreement that let's start by Seeing television again, you know, getting out and socializing again, you know, even going out to lunch with your friends and being able to, you know, read a menu or 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 cut, you know, cut the food and and not feel like you you can't see enough and you might make a mess at the table, you know, it, it, there's little things that we've just given up and accepted not having them in our lives anymore because our vision is failing and now we can bring that independence that confidence back by socializing being around people catching up on tv programs you know spending that quality time of you know knitting or doing model painting or or putting you know puzzles together or you know just sorting through your mail you know reclaiming that this is my 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 piece of life that I want to be able to control again, instead of always having to wait for someone to come to my house and sort through my mail and tell me what's in the pile that I've accumulated over the week. Now you have more confidence to, to feel like what is a part of my life is what I can control. And maybe I'll still need some help by family and friends helping me. And maybe I still will need a a magnifier, but maybe it won't be as strong or, Maybe it won't. Maybe I won't always need to use that magnifier in different settings, but I have that confidence that I can get through, you know, the activities that are important to me every day, and I can do that for the most part by myself. Those would be the realistic goals that an implantable telescope could give a patient. Again.
0: Oh, thank you for that. I think it's so important for people to kind of know what they're getting self, themselves into and what they can expect but also learning how they can get some of that independence back. I know that's one of the, you know, biggest frustrations and, you know, leads to anxiety and depression and, and all kinds of other things. Um, it's just mm-hmm. that loss of independence, which is so important to us all. I'm getting yeah. so many questions. <laughs> so the um, next question, the next thing we'll discuss will be um, the study criteria for the, you um, you know, for the clinical trial, the the (laughs) participant criteria, so who's eligible, who's not eligible. Um, Some of the questions um, that I've been receiving that we should cover are um, why does previous cataract surgery disqualify you from the implant and whether that cataract surgery is in the eye that would need to be operated or not, Um, and then a bunch of questions about wet AMD and injections. Um, So if we could kind of talk about the criteria and, and cover those as well.
1: Great. Okay. Well, I jotted down the notes because it had about three different sections of uh, in my yeah. brain of what I touched on. So let's start with the criteria first. So um, just so we go back to the very beginning of this discussion. So this is an update on an investigational medical device. So the FDA. This is an FDA clinical trial, and I am one of the investigators. And with the FDA clinical trials, it is very rigid, it is very specific, it is very reproducible because um, we have to stay in the parameters of what the criteria are. So if they list X, Y, and Z as the criteria and you say, well, I have X, and why, but not Z. Can I still be in it? And it's no, it's a it's a FDA clinical trial. We have to go step by step specifically on what the criteria pieces are. So I'm gonna go through the criteria of who is eligible for the IMT, the implantable telescope. We have an age criteria, so it has to be someone 65 or older. That person has to have the late-stage AMD resulting from either dry or wet AMD, but the wet AMD has to be inactive for at least six months. And um, we also need, and and that's what makes it the late-stage AMD is either that it's dry or the inactive wet, where it has not been wet for the last six months. there has to be a presence of this bilateral geographic atrophy, or the bilateral scars, where there's a blind spot, where there's a missing spot. Like when you look at somebody's face, like uh, like a, a piece of their, you know, like like the their face maybe around one eye is missing, or the part where their mouth is or should be is missing. Like when you have those blind spots from macular degeneration, that's that discothorum spar or that geographic atrophy, that bilateral geographic atrophy that we're talking about. Now I know um, previous cataract surgery, that was part of that second question, that the part of this study is that the patient has not had cataract surgery in the potential IMT implant eye. So let's say we determine that your right eye would be the implant eye that you would benefit the best from having the implant placed in, having the miniature implantable telescope placed in your right eye. That right eye cannot have already had cataract surgery. Um, That's just the requirement of this FDA study. So you would have to be a patient who has a cataract and I'm just picking the right eye. That doesn't mean every case everybody has a right eye that has the implant. And I'm just making an example here. But to make things clear, which the implanted eye has must have not have had cataract surgery, previous cataract surgery in that eye, for that eye to be uh, a potential IMT implant eye, in the implantable uh, telescope eye. Um, also a criteria is the visual acuity so um, with the visual acuity um, the criteria has to be around 2200 or worse and I think most of you understand that 2200 level because 2200 or worse that's the um, according to the Federal Disability Act that is the the definition of of legal blindness, right, so we're looking the specific criteria if you um wanted to write it down, or at least it will be in um in the um recording, so when you go back to listen to this, the specific visual acuity criteria is twenty slash one sixty to twenty slash eight hundred in each eye. Um, but all you need to know when you go to talk to your doctor is, doc, am I in the ballpark of twenty two hundred or worse? if that's the case, then that would be one of the criteria we're looking for. Um, I also just want to go back to the cataract surgery uh, question because i don't know if I made myself clear. We cannot for this study we cannot remove the artificial lens the um Artificial lens in the eye that was placed in the eye from the cataract from a previous cataract surgery. So, if you've already had cataract surgery and you had an artificial lens placed in, which is that IOL intraocular lens placed in already for this study, we cannot remove that um, and place in the telescope. So, um, so I just wanted to go back to the um, cataract surgery uh, question earlier. Um, you answered the
0: question before I could ask
1: it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I read your mind. You read my mind. Good. Okay. The um, Other criteria, the other part to the criteria would be we need adequate peripheral vision in the non-operated eye. Um, So the eye that does not get the telescope implant in it, we want to make sure that that fellow eye, that other eye, has good peripheral vision because now that's going to be the workhorse for gathering peripheral vision because the telescopic eye is going to be the workhorse for gathering enlarged central detailed vision. Um, And then we also want to make sure that the cornea is healthy enough to meet the requirements. And we also want to make sure that the retina is healthy enough to meet the requirements because we already know that the retina can have the late-stage macular degeneration. That's part of the requirement. So that's okay, the late-stage macular degeneration. But if you have other retinal conditions, in addition to your macular degeneration, conditions like diabetic retinopathy or a history of retinal detachment or other retinal conditions like Stargardt's disease or retinitis pigmentosa. If you have a history of other retinal or retinal vascular diseases in addition to your macular degeneration, then you would not be a candidate. You would not meet the criteria because um, part of the criteria is that you just have the late stage macular degeneration. Um, What other, so those are the key points. There's a lot more to the inclusion criteria of who is eligible and who are not eligible, but those are the key points. The age, the presence of the late stage macular degeneration, the presence that there still is a cataract that, that the eye has not already gone through cataract surgery, that the visual acuity is around 2200 or worse, and that the fellow eye, the non-operated eye, has adequate peripheral vision. The eye that's not receiving the implant has still good side vision because, as I said, with that biocular viewing, you need one eye for central vision, which would be the telescopic eye, and then the other eye, the non-implanted eye, would be the eye for peripheral vision um peripheral vision that helps you with mobility purposes so you're safe walking around you don't bump into things and that you know where you are in space you know you know your orientation you know you know there's a chair in the corner you, you know that the door is over to the left side of the wall you know things like that so sure. you do need you do, mm-hmm. Yes, Diana.
0: I was was just going to say, I also want to clarify, when when you said no active wet AMD, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, or let's share this with everybody, um, essentially that means no injections in the wet AMD eye for, I think it was six months before the surgery?
1: Correct. Correct. Very good point, Diana. Yes. So maybe let's get back. Let's put the FDA study and the implantable telescope just to, uh, to the side for now, let's talk about age-related macular degeneration, also known as this AMD I keep on um, referring to. So AMD damages the macula. The macula is the area of central vision in our retina. It's our detailed vision area. It's our area of 20-20 vision. When that is damaged... We can't see faces anymore. We can't recognize people as easily anymore. It's difficult to watch TV. It's hard to read your mail. You can't always set your thermostat. You can't always read a recipe. It's hard to read the label on your medicine bottles. It's hard to go out shopping to see a price tag or to read a menu if you're going out to eat. All right. All of these conditions, all of these problems stem from damage to the macula. And in macular degeneration, in AMD, the age-related macular degeneration, AMD starts as a dry form. It starts as dry AMD. In some cases, the dry AMD advances to a more severe dry AMD. It, It takes up A larger area of the macula but the area is a dry um, condition. In other cases the dry AMD changes to wet AMD and when you have wet AMD that may require injections. Now for this study the AMD must be dry or an inactive wet AMD. Now an inactive wet AMD um is one that does not need any more injections it's 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 changed back to a dry amd that's why you're not getting injections anymore and it's at that point when the amd has become this late stage amd that at that point you meet the criteria for this fda study does that explain it a little bit better, Diana?
0: It really does. Thank you so much for that okay. clarification. Um, so let's say someone is um, eligible with all the criteria and elements we just discussed. What would what would one expect from the surgery itself? Is it inpatient, outpatient, and what you kind of mentioned, touched on the recovery time? But what is the process itself? How long does it take, and where would they do this?
1: Okay, so in New Jersey, um we have two locations. Um we have two surgeons in New Jersey. So um and I'll go over all the different um sites that we have so far, but with the surgical procedure, it includes the cataract removal with the insertion of the implantable telescope. Um it does require an incision. Um so that the delivery, the pre-loaded delivery system, can um, place the telescope properly in the eye. Um, it does require a couple, a couple of sutures, and um, and post-op care. So usually in uh, a couple of days, you're seeing better. By two weeks, you're usually free from the surgeon. And you're then in the low vision doctor's office so that we can start the rehab together. And with the rehab, oh, so, so the surgery is um, is similar to cataract surgery. So you would go to the cataract uh, surgeon's uh, surgery center. Um, it's, it's no, it, it takes a little bit longer uh, than a, regular cataract surgery does but it's basically the the same steps it's just a little a little extra time because it's a, a delivery system which is different than the intraocular lens but it's very similar just it takes a little bit more time it takes a little bit more sutures than the standard cataract surgery with the implant does but by two weeks you're you're free from the surgery and the surgeon and you're in the low vision optometrist office doing the rehab
0: just to make it um, perfectly clear they're not going to be in the hospital or something like that for 2 no. weeks that'll be like the expected recovery time you know from the procedure that, correct
1: they they have they'll have the surgery in in the doctor's surgery center and they go home that day and the next day and the next day or a couple of days are already seen better. And um, by even maybe sooner than two weeks, but we usually say two weeks is, you know, 10 days, two weeks. Um, by that time, you're done with the surgeon. So, yes, you don't go to the hospital, just like you don't go to the hospital for the for a regular cataract surgery. You usually will just go to the surgery center that the, the um, cataract surgeon has. So, all that is similar. So if you've already had cataract surgery maybe in one eye, the eye that is not being um, evaluated for the implant, then you already know the steps to the cataract surgery um, uh, procedures. So it, it will be similar. Um, and as I said, it's that that's the key. That's why this is called SING, SING-IMT. So it's smaller incision, new generation. Um, th- that's, that's how we made it better from the first generation, is by improving the surgery. So um, the, the incision site is much smaller. The number of sutures is much smaller. Um, they're saying that the procedure um, takes maybe, uh, you know, around 30, 30, maybe 40 minutes. Um, and post-op care, um, usually one to three days the patient's already seen better. So post-op care is, is very quick, and, um, and recovery, um, especially in seeing better, is, is rather quick as well. So that's the exciting part of why this is called SING-IMT, because it's a, the new generation is we're using a smaller incision, less sutures, quicker recovery time, seen better sooner, and getting into the rehab
0: uh, program sooner. Wonderful. Um, so we've got time for about um, kind of two topics that we'd like to cover. Um, and one comes as a question from Kay from California. When will my retina specialist have access to this, or where can I find out if I can be part of the trial or receive the device? Um, and then, <clears throat> I, you know, I think we can walk through again um, how they can find out about the trial and the sites, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and kind of conclude with that.
1: Great. So um, no one really has um, asked so far, um, how is this working so far? Well, we we have been um, – this has already been done worldwide, and we have over 100 patients with the, the SING IMT, the Small Incision New Generation Implantable Telescope to date. So we have over 100 patients already worldwide that are reaping the benefits from the device and the rehabilitation that goes hand in hand with the device. So that's exciting news. Um, The way um, we are with this FDA study is that um, we have locations across the United States. So in New Jersey, we have three locations. In California, we have two locations. We also have locations in Massachusetts and in Florida and North Carolina in Wisconsin and in Texas. So um, we are um, in conversation with the retinal community, with the cataract community, with the low vision community. So mostly all the areas where uh, macular degeneration patients will be going to continue their everyday care Their doctors will be reading about this FDA study, will be learning about this FDA study, will be following the progress of this FDA study. We are reaching out to regional groups and national organizations so that we're reaching as many uh, doctors and healthcare providers that are involved in the care of macular degeneration patients. So your retinal doctor, Um, probably is already aware of this, but um, we also will go over anyone interested to learn more about this study and about if they would be a candidate for this implantable telescope. We have a phone number and and a website. We'll go over that at the end of the discussion. Um, once you either call the phone number or visit the website that we give you, there will be a member from our team or Aura Connect team that will do a phone screening with you to see if you qualify for the study. And again, remember the criteria for this study would be someone 65 or older who still has a cataract in one eye and that they have the late stage AMD. That results from either the dry AMD or the inactive wet AMD, and then from there, um, we would we you would get put through the process of being educated if um, if you meet the criteria from being evaluated by the low vision doctor, by the retinal doctor, by the cataract and corneal doctor, um, because of course, like any FDA study or any interaction that a doctor has with the patient, we only want to involve the people who will be a success. So we n- never want to put you in a situation where um, where there is something that wouldn't help you to be to reap the benefits of this device. And that's why the criteria is so strict, is because we. Um, fortunately, we've already had the first generation, which was successful, which is making it more successful. So that's that's, that's a good thing that, you know, we we have so many good things that already came out of the first generation by changing or tweaking the surgery a bit. That's helping everybody to um, have less sutures, you know, less healing time, or a quicker healing time and quicker time to get to the vision rehab doctor, the low vision specialist, so that you can learn how to use your new vision quicker, easier. And the study goes on for a little over a year. So it is a time commitment, and that's why we want, you know, people who are interested in this study to know that um, you have to have the motivation and the support team because, um We are looking at a 12- to 15-month study length of of this FDA clinical study. So it's a time commitment. Um, But as you can tell from the areas that I highlighted, you know, if we can improve your visual function, you know, if we can help you to use your new vision better, if we can give you therapy techniques that can help you to master seen better and clearer and more efficiently and keep you motivated and driven through this whole process with, you know, caring doctors and caring support staff and a caring network, you know, that you bring to, to the experience as well with your caregivers and with your families and your friends. That's, that's all, you know, it's, it's a process. It's not a quick fix. So, you know, please know that, um, you know, we're interested in you contacting our team to discuss eligibility and uh, potential participation and to answer any of the questions that you have that maybe weren't answered during this time, during the chat. Um, And again, we have five visits in approximately 12 to 15 months, plus the vision rehabilitation that you go through. And um, for those who have a pen and paper, um, I'll give you the phone number over over um, the phone now, but we'll also be able to get it to you again through other means. But for those who want to write down the number of how to contact us to um, talk to our team members, our number here is the 1-866-393-3767. Again, to contact us, to talk to our team members, to discuss eligibility and participation, or if you just need some questions answered a little bit more in depth than what I was able to do today, call us at one 393 3767 And we also have a link, which is www.concertostudy.com and Concerto Study is C-O-N-D-E-R-E-O-S-T-U-D-Y. And as I said, we'll get this all to you in case you can't write this down now. You'll still be able to connect with us after the chat is done today.
0: Thank you so much. This is so much information. And um, I know we'll get, you know, lots of questions on the voicemail afterwards and we'll follow up with folks. Um, You know, we will provide the phone number and the website again. um, And I'm just really excited about this. A couple of final notes before we conclude. Next month, we'll be taking a break for the holidays, and we'll be back after the new year on Wednesday, January 25th at 1 p.m. Eastern. We're actually currently planning our list of topics to cover in 2023, and we'd love to hear your suggestions or ideas. Um, So you can also leave those on the voicemail after the call. Uh, We also have our next glaucoma chat in the new year on January 11th. Um, If you have already registered for the glaucoma chats, you'll just automatically receive that reminder call the day before the chat. If you're interested in listening and you haven't already registered, you can also leave a message after today's chat. So, to close out today, Dr. Richmond, are there any final remarks you'd like to share with the audience? Well, I always want
1: to remind low vision patients, people, In general, if you have macular degeneration, glaucoma, diabetes, whatever you have that has um, weakened your eyesight, just know that um, never to give up hope. Your doctors have not given up hope and neither should you. So always know to ask questions, to have the conversations with your doctors, um, to be educated by listening to bright, focused chats like we're doing today so that You understand that there's lots of research out there, that we know that people are out there suffering, that that we feel your pain. We know, especially with macular degeneration, there's more than 11 million people who are affected from some form of macular degeneration in the United States. We know there's a problem. We're trying to fix the problem. We cannot cure the problem, but we are working very hard to bring more functional, usable vision back to your life so you can have a better quality of life. So please don't give up on yourself. We're not giving up on you. Always have hope. Always have questions. Always try to educate yourself and always know that the medical community is working very hard to help you. Thank you, Diana.
0: Thank you so much. This has just been so wonderful, um, and I think those final remarks, you know, are hopeful and, you know, remind people that, you know, while it might be slow going, everyone is working really hard in the research and medical community to, to really find some better solutions. Um, so Go with ahead. that, um, this will conclude the Bright Focus chat. Have a wonderful holiday season, and we will be back in January. Thank you. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice.
1: Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision.
0: Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.